Book Three, Chapter Six, Part Two of Lord of the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Therese. Lord of the World by Robert U. Benson. Book Three, Chapter Six, Part Two. An hour later, the priest toiled back in the hot twilight up the path from the village, followed by half a dozen silent men, twenty yards behind whose curiosity exceeded their credulousness. He had left a few more standing bewildered at the doors of the little mud houses, and had seen perhaps a hundred families, weighted with domestic articles, pour like a stream down the rocky path that led to Caiapha. He had been cursed by some, even threatened, stared upon by others, mocked by a few. The fanatical had said that the Christians had brought God's wrath upon the place and the darkness upon the sky. The sun was dying, for these hounds were too evil for him to look upon and live. Others, again, seemed to see nothing remarkable in the state of the weather. There was no change in that sky from its state an hour before, except that perhaps it had lightened a little as the sun climbed higher behind the impenetrable dusky shroud. Hills, grass, men's faces, all bore to the priest's eyes the look of unreality. They were as things seen in a dream by eyes that roll with sleep through lids weighted with lead. Even to other physical senses, that unreality was present. And once more he remembered his dream, thankful that that horror at least was absent. But silence seemed other than a negation of sound. It was a thing in itself, an affirmation, unruffled by the sound of footsteps, the thin barking of dogs, the murmur of voices. It appeared as if the stillness of eternity had descended and embraced the world's activities, and as if that world, in a desperate attempt to assert its own reality, was braced in a set, motionless, noiseless, breathless effort to hold itself in being. What Sylvester had said just now was beginning to be true of this man also. The touch of the powdery soil and the warm pebbles beneath the priest's bare feet seemed something apart from the consciousness that usually regards the things of sense as more real and more intimate than the things of spirit. Matter still had a reality, still occupied space, but it was of a subjective nature, the result of internal rather than external powers. He appeared to himself already to be scarcely more than a soul, intent and steady, united by a thread only to the body and the world with which he was yet in relations. He knew that the appalling heat was there. Once, even, before his eyes, a patch of beaten ground cracked and lists as water that touches hot iron as he trod upon it. He could feel the heat upon his forehead and hands. His whole body was swathed and soaked in it yet he regarded it as from an outside standpoint, as a man with neuritis perceives that the pain is no longer in his hand, but in the pillow which supports it. So, too, with what his eyes looked upon and his ears heard, so, too, with that faint, bitter taste that lay upon his lips and nostrils. There was no longer in him fear or even hope. He regarded himself, the world, and even the enshrouding and awful presence of spirit as facts with which he had but little to do. He was scarcely even interested, still less was he distressed. There was Tabor before him, at least what once had been Tabor, now it was no more than a huge and dusky dome shape which impressed itself upon his retina and informed his passive brain of its existence and outline, though that existence seemed no better than that of a dissolving phantom. It seemed then almost natural, or at least as natural as all else. As he came in through the passage and opened the chapel door, to see that the floor was crowded with prostrate, motionless figures. There they lay, 
all alike in the white Murnius, which he had given out last night, and, with forehead on arms, as during the singing of the litany of the saints at an ordination, lay the figure he knew best and loved more than all of the world, the shoulders and white hair at a slight elevation upon the single altar step. Above the plain altar itself burned the six tall candles, and in the midst, on the mean little throne, stood the white metal monstrance with its white center. Then he, too, dropped and lay as he was. He did not know how long it was before the circling observant consciousness, the flow of slow images, the vibration of particular thoughts, ceased and stilled as a pole rocks quietly to peace after the dropped stone has long lain still. But it came at last, that superb tranquility, possible only when the senses are physically awake, with which God, perhaps once in a lifetime, rewards the aspiring, trustful soul. That point of complete rest in the heart of the fount of all existence, with which one day he will reward eternally the spirits of his children. There is no thought in him of articulating this experience, of analyzing its elements, or fingering this or that strain of ecstatic joy. The time for self-regarding was past. It was enough that the experience was there, although he was not even self-reflective enough to tell himself so. He had passed from that circle whence the soul looks within, from that circle, too, whence it looks upon objective glory, to that very center where it reposes. And the first sign to him that time had passed was the murmur of words, heard distinctly and understood, although with that apartness with which a drowsy man perceives the message from without, heard as through a veil, through which nothing but thinnest essence could transpire. Spiritus Domini, replevit orbum terrarum. The Spirit of the Lord hath fulfilled all things. Alleluia. And that which contains all things hath knowledge of the voice. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Exurgat Deus. And the voice rose ever so slightly. Let God arise, and let his enemies be scattered, and let them who hate him flee before his face. Gloria Patri. Then he raised his heavy head, and a phantom figure stood there in red vestments, seemed to float rather than to stand, with thin hands outstretched, and white cap on white hair, seen in the gleam of the steady candle flames. Another, also in white, kneeled on the step. Kyrie eleison. Gloria an excelsis Deo. Those things passed like a shadow show, with movements and rustlings, but he perceived rather the light which cast them. He heard Deus qui in her not die. But his passive mind gave no pulse of reflex action, no stir of understanding until these words, Cum complementer dies Pentecostas. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, all the disciples were with one accord in the same place. And there came from heaven suddenly a sound, as of a mighty wind approaching, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then he remembered and understood. It was Pentecost then, and with memory a shred of reflection came back. Where then was the wind and the flame and the earthquake and the secret voice? Yet the world was silent, rigid in its last effort at self-assertion, and there was no tremor to show that God remembered, no actual point of light yet, breaking the appalling vault of gloom that lay over sea and land to reveal that he burned there in eternity, transcendent and dominant, not even a voice and at that he understood yet more. He perceived that that world, whose monstrous parody his sleep had presented to him in the night, was other than that he had feared it to be. It was sweet, 
not terrible, friendly, not hostile, clear, not stifling, and home, not exile. There are presences here, but not those gluttonous, lustful things that had looked on him last night. He dropped his head again upon his hands, at once ashamed and content, and again he sank down to depths of glimmering inner peace. Not again, for a while, did he perceive what he did or thought, or what passed there, five yards away on the low step. Once only a ripple passed across that sea of glass, a ripple of fire and sound like a rising star that flicks a line of light across a sleeping lake, like a thin thread of vibration streaming from a quivering string across the stillness of a deep night, and he perceived for an instant as in a formless mirror, that the lower nature was struck into existence and into union with the divine nature at the same moment. And then no more again but the great encompassing hush, the sense of the innermost heart of reality, till he found himself kneeling at the rail, and knew that that, which alone it truly existed on earth, approached him with the swiftness of thought and the ardor of divine love. Then, as the Mass ended, and he raised his passive, happy soul to receive the last gift of God, there was a cry, a sudden clamor in the passage, and a man stood in the doorway, gabbling Arabic. End of Book 3, Chapter 6, Part 2